0: Good morning again, and welcome to Long Hill. We're so glad you're here. My name is Pastor Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel, and if this is your first time with us, you came to check out church this morning, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being here. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us this morning, and we're so glad that we get to gather together in all sorts of ways. Hey, I don't know if you're anything like me, but uh, I've made the mistake, maybe a little bit of turning on the news a couple times this week, and uh, I think we're very aware this week more than ever of the... uh, the suffering and the struggle that's in our world. And it's one of those things that, uh, there's always struggle and there's always suffering, but right now we're very aware of it uh, with what's going on in, in Israel and Gaza, and with the Palestinians, and it's one of those things where there's no easy answers. There's not just a, if you just did A, you would get B and C would happen. It's, it's one of those situations. and. Uh, We're tempted to try to find those things and there just aren't any of them but one of the things we can do is we can cry out to god and we can we can come before god with uh, the cries that he would see and hear that he would act that he would respond and so i just want to take a moment as we begin our time together and just pray and and center ourselves before god and especially this particular situation in our world let's pray together god we come before you and we ask why we Ask why families and children suffer. We ask why uh, the death uh, of innocence uh, is so obvious right now. And we know that there's always injustice in the world, but right now we feel it keenly. Uh, We look to you. And the songs we sang this morning, uh, some of us sing especially in faith. And so we just cry out to you. We ask uh, for your intervention. We ask that your mercy would be poured out, that your justice would come. And we pray, God, and we lift up the situation to you, and we know that you see, but we ask that you would respond. And we don't know how else to pray, so we come to you in faith, and I I just ask God, I I ask for your mercy to be evident. I ask for peace to be restored. We know that there will never be peace on this earth until you return. And we ache for that day. Our our soul's groan for that. But we just lift all of the suffering up in the world today especially there we think of the ongoing war in Ukraine and the suffering that has been acted there and we're just reminded so keenly that the world is broken it's profoundly broken and we get closer to home and some of us have experienced loss recently or we're facing a situation that just doesn't seem like it makes any sense uh, where there's no easy outcome and no easy answers and we cry out to you in the same way We trust, God, that you hear, and we trust that you are good. And we know that you're at work even when we can't see it, and sometimes even when we we don't necessarily like how things are going. But we trust in you, and so we declare our trust in you. We declare our faith in you. We lift all of these things big and small, distant and close up to you, and pray that you would be God. And in the words of Psalm 46, which we read last week, we are still before you. We know that you're God we know that you're our deliverer, we know that you're our fortress, and so we pray in faith, we cry out to you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's things in our lives where they have always been going on, but then we become aware of them. Um, I am in my 40s. I won't tell you how old I am, but since I was a young adult, literally the year we got married, my wife Grace said, you have health insurance now. You ought to go to the doctor. How many of you have a spouse that makes sure you go to the doctor? I have one of those. I'm very thankful for her. And I went to the doctor, and I discovered at the age of 24 that my cholesterol was high. And I'm kind of an extreme person. Some of you have gotten to know me a little better, and, and uh I take extreme measures, and I decided in that moment I was going to defeat my high cholesterol, and so I stopped eating meat and cheese, and I love meat and cheese, I just got to tell you. like Most people like meat and cheese. Like it's a whole new level for me. I just stopped doing that. I went basically vegetarian, and my cholesterol was still high, and I ended up on you know, some medication for that as a result to this day, which continues. Uh, but what was interesting is that was probably the case for quite a while. It just was something I became aware of. And when I became aware of it, It changed my reality. It changed how I lived. It changed how I knew things. It was always there, but I just became aware of it in that moment and this kind of brings us back to the big idea of this series that we have started last week and we're continuing in today called awe and it's this that when your reality becomes bigger than your perspective that's when you change and that's when things change and so when something comes into your life that raises your perspective it shifts your perspective that's when things begin to change. Some of you have gone on missions trips with us here at Long Hill Chapel, and the reason we do missions trips, we go to other countries and we partner with missionaries, is not because they need a bunch of people from Chatham, New Jersey to come help them do things. It's because when we go there, our reality becomes bigger. Suddenly we become aware of a bigger picture of how the world is, and it shifts our perspective, and if that happens in the right way, we change and things begin to change. And as we look at God, there's these two concepts of God that seem completely at odds with each other. Uh, in our Christian faith. One is that God is beyond us. He's the God that created the universe. He's the God that knew every hair on our head, was there before the beginning, will be there after the end, is outside of time, is all-powerful, is all-knowing. And then we have this other picture of God where God is with us. We're coming up on the Christmas season faster than any of us would care to admit. It's Vest Day. I don't know if you noticed, but I brought out the vests again today. It's because it's getting colder, and December is coming, but that's the the time where we celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the whole idea of Christmas for us as we celebrate it as Christians is that God was not content to remain distant, but instead he came close. And some of us love big God because it allows God to stay distant, And some of us like close God because it allows us to feel like God is someone we can manage and understand, but it misses the fact that he's holy and that he's powerful and that he's perfect in all of his ways. But these things are held in tension, and that's really a mystery of our faith, a God who knows us and a God who's big. Last week, we talked about the simple idea that if you don't have a big God, you become the biggest person in your universe. You become the one where everything stops. And so when we begin defining things as though we were God, we are suddenly on the hook for everything that happens in our life and in our world. Or, and this is something we do a lot, we look to some other big person who is promising to fill the role. This is why we are more, I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, because we're coming up on that season again in November, where it's election season. This is why we are fascinated more than ever with politicians of all stripes, left, right, wherever they are, because they promise us things in return for our allegiance. And friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, nobody else gets your allegiance except Jesus. You ought to vote. You ought to exercise your rights as an American citizen. You ought to do that faithfully because we are blessed to be able to do that. But we are citizens if you're a Christ follower of the kingdom of heaven first. And so God, everything flows down from that relationship first. Rick Warren said it this way. He said, if God was small enough for you to completely understand him, he wouldn't be big enough for you to completely trust him. And that seems a little bit difficult for us to understand. But when we trust somebody who is beyond us we are doing that from the standpoint that there's things that they see and there's things that they understand that we may not see and we may not understand and let me let's just face it we just prayed for this right now things seem uncertain in our world they always do but we feel it now more than ever it's interesting we sang a lot of songs this morning about the goodness and the faithfulness and the ability of god we sang a song called goodness of god and it was interesting i was mentioning to pastor joey that the first time we sang that here at long hill chapel was the week before the pandemic hit in 2020 and it almost seems ironic doesn't it that on one hand we're talking about the goodness and the ability of god and the other hand we're staring into the face of a world where there's a lot of things that don't seem good where there's a lot of things that don't seem like they're in control. And this is where, friends, we have a decision to make. We have a choice to trust in a God who is big, who is beyond us, who we don't fully understand. And I'm being just 100% honest with you right now. I don't understand why things are the way they are, except that the world, this place we live, it's broken, it's fallen. We feel the effects of sin the destruction, the waste that that lays, both in big ways and in small ways. And we feel that more keenly than ever. And when we feel uncertain, we feel small. Because you look at the things on the news that I've looked at on the news, and you're like, I can't do anything about this one. I don't know the answer. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing we can even do at a national level. Easily, or at a military level, or at a political level, that just solves the problems that we find ourselves in in the world. And in the moment that we feel those things, there's all of these other big things that beckon to us. And the challenge and the decision that we have is to turn ourselves in the direction of the right big thing, to rest, to trust, even when we don't fully understand in the bigness of God. Think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever, like, been around a famous person or there was someone really important who came to your workplace or church or into your community or maybe even into your home. What happened in that moment? You were on your best behavior. It is You aspired to something in that moment. Let me make it a little more personal. Some of you are sitting next to somebody uh, who you're, you're dating or maybe you're married to. Remember the first time that you guys got together? What happened in that moment? You You... you You kicked it up a notch, right? You have an apartment, and it doesn't look the way that it did the first time they came over. You know, you you took a shower, and you shaved, and you, you made sure you put on the best clothes in your closet. You cleaned out the back seat of your car and all the wrappers that might be living there usually. What happens in those moments when we encounter something that seems beyond us, that we aspire to, is our better selves Emerge. You know, you went on that job interview, and you're not the person who shows up 15 minutes to anything, but on that day, you were. And it's because there was something beyond you that you aspired to. And I think when we get a bigger picture of God, when we get a bigger picture of who God is, it draws the best out of us. It literally changes who we are, and that's really the big idea I want us to look at today, is when we embrace a bigger reality of who God is, when we do that thing, it literally transforms us. And the reason we sing the songs that we sang, especially on a morning like this, is not because we're trying to gaslight ourselves and put our fingers in our ears and go, la, 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 the world is really bad, but I'm going to not pretend like any of it exists. It's to remind ourselves of who God is. Because if we don't view God that way, or if we forget, and I'll tell you what, I forget all the time, we bring ourselves back and center ourselves in our circumstances, and they pull us in. And I think this is such an interesting dynamic. It's not that there's not a bigger picture that we can't see of who God is. It's that we stop seeing it, or that we forget to look for it. You know, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who is one of the early church leaders, he wrote to a church in Ephesus, to the church of the Ephesians. It's a wonderful letter that he wrote that talks about the reality of God impacting who we are and who we're becoming. And in chapter one, in verse 18, one of my very favorite verses in all the Bible, he says this. He says to them, He says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts, not that they would be open because they're closed, but they'd be enlightened so that you would know the hope to which. You've been called. It doesn't say that they're missing it. It doesn't say that they're not seeing it, but it says that they're not seeing the right things. It's kind of like become aware of, pay attention to. And so there's something that's out there that sometimes we forget to look for, or I'd say this, maybe we don't know how to look for. And so how do we encounter this bigger reality, this this reality of God? And this is, I think, something where we all can step into the struggle of this because we don't do it easily. We wrestle. Some of you right now are hearing the words that I'm saying and right (laughs) next to it in your mind is the situation that you're going through or the thing that you've just been through. And you're wrestling. You're trying to make sense of how this reality of God, this picture that's been painted of who God is, squares with your circumstances. Because your circumstances don't seem like they add up. And I think the wonderful news for us, friends, is that we can wrestle with God. We can struggle. We can ask questions, and we can do it in a faithful way that actually draws us closer to Him. And I think one of the lies that we're tempted to believe is that we can't have questions. We can't struggle. If we're struggling, then somehow our faith is deficient. Somehow there's something in us that should be better than it is. But I think what the scriptures show us is that we can wrestle and we do struggle. And some of those who were the closest to God were the ones who struggled. Today we're going to look at a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the first half of the Bible in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible in chapter 32 and verse 22 and following. And it's the story of a man named Jacob. Jacob was part of a family dynamic that had gone on for a few generations. Some of you, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know that there's a story of Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers. Esau was the firstborn, and he came out of the womb. And when he came out of the womb, Jacob was right there behind him grabbing his heel. I have two boys. They're not twins, but I totally get this dynamic. It goes on every single day in our house. But it was just one of these things that it wasn't like Jacob learned to be that way. He came out doing that. Some of you have kids. I have kids. I'm like, yeah, you may have learned a few things, but you came out this way. Right now, that is so in operation in our house. I'm like, man, I, this is such payback for like, how I was as a kid. Because now I'm getting to be on the other side of that. Some of you can totally relate to that. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. But there's this dynamic with Jacob that he's always the one who's struggling. He's always the one who's wrestling. He's grappling. He's vying to be first. You know, we we see throughout the story of Jacob uh, that this is like this ongoing dynamic, and he's part of like the world's most dysfunctional family. I think one of the things that happens with us in Scripture sometimes, we say, oh, these must be the perfect families. We see them in stained glass windows in church, and so that we must be like them. This is like, I don't know if you've seen those daytime soap operas where there's like generations of the same dysfunctional family, and it goes on for years and years and years and years and years, and yes, this is a safe place. If you watch those, you're free in the name of Jesus. It's okay. But it's just this very dysfunctional dynamic that went back before Jacob and Esau were born. It goes on after them. Uh, Jacob goes and he works for this relative Laban, and it's kind of the same thing. It's just this super dysfunctional thing. And what happens, and probably the key part of the story, is Esau was the firstborn. And so in ancient Hebrew culture, there was this thing called the birthright, which was just a special blessing that was given to the firstborn. And Jacob cooks up this scheme, and it's this crazy daytime soap opera-worthy scheme to steal that blessing, to steal that birthright from Esau. And so that happens. Esau is really upset, as you might imagine, and the two brothers go their separate ways. Life goes on, and Jacob rises to a position of considerable success And wealth and this is the backstory to what we're about to read today and then there's this point where he's about to reconnect with Esau his brother I don't know if you've ever had a sibling like falling out where you guys didn't talk there was this one time my brother John and I we it was some silly thing that I did it was my fault we didn't talk for like two months and it was one summer and then we started talking again it was great he's back there if you want to ask him about it Uh, but it was it was certainly something I did but this is like that, but years, but way, 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 way worse. And so Esau's coming to meet his brother Jacob, and he's bringing 400 guys with him. This is not a welcoming committee. This is not one of those things It's like, oh, yay, it's going to be such a great party. There's all these people coming. It's something that looks like an army. It's this confrontation. And so Jacob did what any of us would do. He just completely is consumed with anxiety, with worry about what's, this going to, what, what's going to happen. And he does what Jacob has always done. He comes up with a plan, and that's where we pick up our story in verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so he kind of separates all the other people and stuff from himself, and he has, obviously has a lot on his mind. I don't know if you've ever had one of those situations where you're just like, you know, I need to be alone for a little bit. And so you go somewhere, you send everyone away. That's kind of what's going on with Jacob. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And it's not just any man. Then the man replied, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. So the story gets a little weird here. Jacob's by himself. He's sent all of his possessions and his family away. He's going through the night, and he just has one of, he has like a literal wrestling match with this person that seems like a person, but it's actually an angel. And maybe you've not had a physical wrestling match through the night, but I think all of us can relate to a night where you wrestled where there was something on your mind that consumed you so much that it felt like a battle. You wrestled with the situation. You wrestled with the circumstance. You wrestled with whatever it was. But what happens at the end here is Jacob's literally wrestling, you know, and the man touches his hip and kind of puts it out of joint. Remember the backstory: There's Esau, his brother, who last Jacob knew was pretty upset, and he has 400 guys with him. And now Jacob is physically injured some of you play sports and you know that right before a big game is a bad time to have an injury you know you've you've seen on sports center or wherever it is there's there's some guy who goes out and does something stupid the night before the game the big game and you're like why in the world would you do that because you need to be at your best so jacob has now been weakened And the way he leaves the first part of the story is so interesting. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. There's this understanding that Jacob has that this is God or some representative of God. And he's saying, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. Remember how Jacob got his first blessing. He stole it. He schemed it, and he stole it from his brother. But this time, he's saying, I'm not letting you go until you change the reality that I find myself myself in. And this is where this gets personal for us. Because some of you in this room, you feel like you've struggled for everything that you have. You've struggled for everything that you are. You've gotten it. You've achieved it. You've accomplished it by whatever means. Lord, there's a situation in your life where you're struggling with that situation. You're wrestling with God. It doesn't make sense. You don't know how it works. You don't know why you ended up here. And the thing we see here that Jacob says is I'm not letting go of the struggle until I see something from you, God. And friends, you can do the same thing. You can continue in the struggle and not let go. And you can do that with God. Because there's some difficult things in this room. There's hard circumstances. There's things that don't have easy answers. There's physical struggles. There's relational struggles. There's financial ones. There's tough relationships. You have some big questions that don't seem like they have easy answers. And I think one of the mistruths that we believe about God is that we can't struggle with him. But there is a way to struggle with God and do it faithfully, to wrestle and to not let go. We can wrestle, but we can do it with persistence. And we see this throughout the Bible. Over in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, there's this verse that says this, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the ones who keep at it, who don't give up, who keep pressing in, who stay faithful to the the struggle, who don't let that overcome them, they're the ones who God satisfies. The story goes on in verse 27. The man asked him, What is your name? What is your name? In this culture, really still in our culture, names are associated with our identity. In Hebrew culture, they spoke to your character, to who you were as a person. And the word Jacob, I can't imagine naming your kid this, the word Jacob literally meant deceiver, schemer. So Jacob comes out and he's named. And there's been this identity that's been with him his entire life of one who's scheming, one who's planning, one who's even deceiving. You know, there's this book that came out, a few years ago called Freakonomics. It was a New York Times bestseller. And one of the things they talked about, and they did actually studies and uh, accumulated data on it, is that what people's names are have a tremendous impact on everything from their relationships to their job prospects to where they get into school. It has this incredible amount of impact. And here's a little bit of a sidebar for some of us here. The things that we name other people Have a tremendous impact on them the words that you use with your children shape their realities the thing that maybe a parent called you maybe you were called lazy or worthless or that you never amount to anything those have a tremendous impact beyond the words and it's just something we should be aware of what's part of your name What's part of your story? What's part of your identity that you wish was different? So Jacob answers. The man asks, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Watch what happens. Remember, the man represents God. It's an angel or it's a representation of who God is. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And Israel means struggles with God. Jacob meant schemer. Israel means struggles with God. Because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Just like in that time and just like now, changing a name is a big deal. It has huge implications. And so Jacob struggles with God. He wrestles with God. He does it all night long. He puts himself into it he refuses to let go until he receives a blessing from God and then what God does is God says because you've struggled faithfully with me your identity is changing your identity has changed you're no longer the one who schemes you're the one who struggles with God and this brings us back to the point of where we began this morning when we embrace a bigger reality of who God is. It will change who we are. Jacob said, verse 29, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed them, blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And so Jacob heads out after this sleepless night of struggle with God to encounter his brother and 400 men who aren't there to throw him a party. He's physically exhausted. He's weaker than before. And he literally has no other option but to trust God now. Now, the good news of the story is this. It ends happily. Esau and Jacob reconcile. But this shows us something that's true about our struggles, just like it did. Jacob's struggle. When we struggle, when we wrestle with things, when we wrestle with God, it increases the size of our perspective. And I think this is absolutely true. When we struggle with God, it increases the size of God's reality in our life and so we don't have to just close the door and turn off the news and put our fingers in our ear and turn the worship songs up as loud as we can and pretend like none of those other things are going on and gaslight ourselves but what we can do is we can bring those struggles before god and we can wrestle faithfully with god and when we do that things begin to change. Our perspective begins to change. Our circumstances may not change, but our reality of the fact that God is with us becomes more apparent, and it becomes more real. And so in the story, here's how this comes home. First of all, we see that wrestling with God in faith, it begins in fear. You know, some of you have just tiptoed around this thing in your life of really getting into it, of really feeling the emotions of the struggle, of the challenge in it, of really voicing what's going on because you're a little afraid of what might happen, where that might lead you. When you struggle with God, it begins in that place, but it ends in peace. It ends in peace. In peace, It ends with an awareness of who God is, and it ends in peace. Here's the place, though, where I think it's challenging for us when we struggle with God. Is just like in the story we see this. When we struggle with God, it makes us even more dependent on God, beyond ourselves, you know, Jacob was always known as the person throughout his story who always had a backup plan. He's like, God, I'm going to do this thing, but in case, you know, you, you sleep, you oversleep, or you forget the paperwork, or you don't look at your calendar, I've got a plan. And friends, I'll confess this to you, uh, I so relate to Jacob. I so relate to him, because I'm the person who's like, yes, I trust in God. But I also got a backup plan in case God just doesn't show up. That's who I am. That's who so many of us. But when we struggle with God, it actually requires us to let go of those things. And that's the thing I think some of us are a little afraid of is just going all in on trusting in who God is and what he's up to. Because it makes us more dependent on him. But the struggle with God also does this other thing. It fundamentally changes our identity. Jacob goes from being known as the schemer to being the struggler. He goes from fear of what's going to happen with this army that he's about to confront, the faith. He goes from failure to overcomer. James Ryle is a pastor uh, down in, I think, Tennessee, who passed a few years ago. And he said that he, he, he printed out this statement that really has, st- has stuck with me for a bunch of years. He said this He said, Healthy things grow, growing things change. Changing things challenge us. You know, when we come into our lives and something changes that we previously understood, it challenges us. Challenging things force us to trust God. Trust leads to obedience. And obedience makes us healthy. And so there's this cycle that begins and it ends, and it begins, and it ends, and it's ongoing, and it's something that happens over and over again. And so, friends, when we lean into the struggle with God, it means that all of this is true for us. If we're healthy, we're growing. If we're growing, we are changing. If we are changing, we are being challenged. One of the things I think we like, the idea of change not costing us anything. We can hold on to our perspectives, our understanding, our way of life, and we can keep all that and have the change. That's not how change works. When we are challenged, we wrestle with God. And here's where I think this is completely profound for many of us. When we wrestle with God, that's where we learn to trust Him. When we wrestle with God, when we struggle with God... Like Jacob did, that's the place where we learn the deepest places of trust in God. It's not when we get our way. It's not when God is the cosmic vending machine in the sky who immediately gives us what we want. It's where we wrestle, but we do it faithfully. As we learn how to trust Him, we learn how to follow Him. And as we follow Him, our reality gets bigger. So where in your life do you need to wrestle with God, then trust, and then follow? Where in your life do you need to wrestle with God, and then trust, and then follow? As we close, I want to go back to the verses that have kind of anchored this series. It's from Psalm 46, and we mentioned that already today. Verses 10 and 11. It's the end of the passage, and this is one many of us have heard. But listen to this and see whose name, surprisingly, is in there. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of who? Jacob is our fortress. The God of the struggler. The God of the schemer. The God of the one who many of us would think would not be the person whose name should be in that spot. God is saying profoundly and powerfully there, he's saying, I am the God of you. I'm the God of your struggle. I'm the God of the place where you're wrestling. I'm the God of the person who just is looking around and trying to figure out how they can have a backup plan in case I don't come through. I'm your God too. And friends, I take such comfort in that verse because that means that God is my God too. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God of the schemer. God of the wrestler. And God of the struggle. When your reality becomes bigger than your perspective, that's when you change. And that's when things change. Let's pray. God, we uh, in this room are people of struggle. We're people of wrestling. We wrestle with The things we see going on in our world and we struggle to see how there could possibly be any good in that because it certainly seems like there isn't. We wrestle with the circumstances of our lives where we feel like we've prayed the right prayers, we've done the right things and we don't see how it's all fitting together. I pray in this moment for each person here that you would personally and profoundly remind us that you are the God of people like us who struggle. You're the God of people like us who wrestle. You're the God of people like us who have a whole lot of questions. I pray that instead of turning away from the struggle, we would lean into it. We would struggle with you Until you give us a blessing, we'd struggle with you until our fear dissipates and peace reigns. We would know that you're a God who not only allows that, but a God who invites it. And that you are our fortress. You're the fortress of struggling people, of wrestling people. You can be trusted. Would you open our eyes? Would you enlighten them, as the Apostle Paul said, to know the hope to which we've been called today? Even if our circumstances don't immediately change before our eyes, would our perspective shift? Would we remember who you are? and That you're faithful. And that you're a big God who is also with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.